Braves, Bulldogs, Falcons, Yellow Jackets, Hawks, Eagles. From the heart of Georgia, it's the Bill Shank Show. Happy Wednesday and welcome to our broadcast. I'm Bill Shanks. Thanks so much for being with us here on the show. We're now 24 hours to the NBA trade deadline. I know that just stimulates all of you physically. We'll be talking about that a little bit on the show today and uh, seeing if the Hawks, of course, are going to make any moves to save money or to improve their team. That would be kind of interesting if they did something to actually improve their team. We will also uh, talk a lot of football, which we're going to start off with. We're getting closer to the Super Bowl, and I wish I could say I'm excited. I'd be more excited if Detroit were in it, wouldn't you? I mean, Detroit, man, they messed up. Good grief. They had a, what was it, a 17-point lead at halftime, and then they go and just louse it up with a crappy second half acting like they were the Atlanta Falcons in Houston or something. Kansas City and their fourth Super Bowl in the last five years, and San Francisco, who, well, I don't like San Francisco. I don't know about you, but I've never had much affinity for the 49ers. I mean, they won so much 30, 40 years ago, of course, starting with 1981. Golly, that's 43 years ago. With uh, Joe Montana and Bill Walsh and Ronnie Lott and... Of course, then Jerry Rice and all those guys. Okay, of course, they beat the crap out of the Falcons. That's probably a big, big part of my dislike for that organization. And they're just cocky. 49ers have always just been cocky. And, you know, even now with Shanahan, Shanahan thinks he and his dad, it's kind of, he's kind of Rich McKay-like. You know how Rich McKay believes he invented the NFL? I think... Shanahan believes he and his dad were right there at it. And, you know, people talk about coaches and quarterbacks all the time. Well, Shanahan won Super Bowl, of course, with Horseface, John Elway. What did Kyle Shanahan's dad, Mike Shanahan, ever do without John Elway? I mean, you know, and I'm not saying he's a bad coach, but I'm saying, you know, all, all the folks that were saying, well, you know, Bill Belichick, what has he done without Tom Brady? Well, hell, what did you think anybody was going to do with Tom Brady without him? There's going to be a big difference, but look at Mike Shanahan. That's another example, right? He wasn't as smart of a coach when John Elway left, and he had, what, Jake Plummer to take over at quarterback? But anyway, I, of course, I don't like Shanahan, Mike Shanahan, because he beat the Falcons in the Super Bowl. In 1999, and that wasn't very fun, obviously, to deal with that. Of course, he had a horse face. If he had had Jake Plummer, Atlanta might have won. And then, of course, Kyle Shanahan was part of the conspiracy to ruin all of our lives back seven years ago when he decided to, in conjunction with the head coach, Dan Quinn, be aggressive when you had a 28-3 to lead with three minutes left to go in the fourth quarter, in the third quarter. Not that I'm bitter or anything. Oh, yeah, I'm bitter. I'm bitter. Don't worry, I'm bitter. So I don't want Shanahan to win squad. I mean, I'm sorry. I just don't. And here's the bad thing. I like Brock Purdy. P-U-R-D-Y. I like Brock Purdy because I think that is one of the best stories in the history of sports. And I'm not kidding. He is Mr. Irrelevant from the draft a few years ago, and he is 
in the Super Bowl with his team. The only person I'll be happy for if San Francisco wins on Sunday will be Brock Purdy because I think that is one of the best – I've said this three times this week. Here's the fourth. One of the best stories in the history of sports. I mean, you could be a, 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 a undrafted player, and, of course, that would be a big deal too. But we're talking about the last player taken in the draft – Mr. Irrelevant, who is usually laughed at. Remember a couple years ago, Tay Crowder, who was the special teams star for Georgia, saved their butt in the Rose Bowl back several years ago with a great play right before halftime. Tay Crowder was Mr. Irrelevant, and you kind of get that label on you. Bad thing for Brock Purdy is he now, this week, has a different label. If you haven't heard, there is a social media bonanza going on where Brock Purdy is now being compared with his looks to Lee Harvey Oswald, who 60 years ago killed the president of the United States. I don't know if that's the person I want to be compared to, someone who, you know, supposedly shot one of the bullets. I don't know if he shot all four or five. Because someone was on the grassy knoll. I don't know if you know that or not. But I'm can we, Chris, can we have the uh, breaking news liner right now? I'd like to break some news. News on the Bill Shank Show. John F. Kennedy was shot from someone on the grassy knoll. I'm just letting you know that. I mean, not that it's official or anything, but I'm just letting you know that if you think that Lee Harvey was the only one that put a slug in old JFK. Anyway, poor old Brock Purdy is now being compared to, to Lee Harvey. So I feel sorry for him. But, I, I mean, I do like that kid. I mean, I think it's I think it's awesome what he's doing. I just wish he didn't play for San Francisco. And Kansas City, you know, look, I, I, I like Kansas City. I like Mahomes. I'm not anti-Mahomes at all. I think it's unbelievable. And, you know, the Kelsey stuff with – I mean, we can't avoid that. It's going to happen. She's going to be all over the damn television all weekend long. They're probably going to have – I swear, if on Sunday, you know, what what time does the Super Bowl coverage start? Like right after Face the Nation, right? I mean, it'll probably be Face the Nation, having somebody on there lying, and then here comes the Super Bowl coverage from, from Las Vegas. And I swear, if we have a Taylor Swift tracking on what, – what's that? Uh, I have a I have an app where I track um, the flights because of um, – I, I like I like to watch planes in the sky. I know I'm I'm a loser, but I, I did that in Waycross because we would get we were in the in the pattern, in the flight pattern all the way to Jacksonville. So I would do that a lot of times. So I've, I got this app because I like to see where planes are going. Sometime, anyway, are they going to have that that tracker on whether or not Taylor Swift can arrive in Vegas from Japan in time to go to the Super Bowl? Are, are we going to have flight aware flight radar? Are we going to have flight radar tracking Air Swift? That's a pretty good name. For her arrival in Las Vegas? Certainly not. Certainly she's not going to allow that. I mean, because if she allows that, we're going to have to have a real conversation about the legitimacy of this relationship between Taylor Swift and Travis Kelsey, aren't we? I mean, like if she allows them to follow her, from the airport to the stadium, and it's not far. It probably doesn't take 10 minutes, if that. It probably takes about seven minutes for her, probably five for her, because she'll have an escort because she's a billionaire. But anyway, 
for the secret text line. You're full of piss and vinegar. You kick a kitten today? Keep it up. No, no, no. I didn't do that. I just, you know, it's Super Bowl week and the Falcons aren't in it, so it makes me have a little piss and vinegar going on. Hey, you know what it should be today? Seriously. Not that what I was saying before was a joke, but <clears throat> it should be National Signing Day. February 7th. First Wednesday in February is always National Signing Day. And of course, this is not a very exciting National Signing Day because there's an early signing period now in December. And so it's kind of anticlimactic in February where you have the leftovers kind of signing scholarships. And and there are people out there signing. Don't get me wrong. I mean, there are there are a number of people who are not early enrollees and are simply going to football to actually go to college, believe it or not. And I'm not saying they won't get a little paycheck on the side, but it's not like they're, you know, a five-star this and five-star that. There was one five-star who was in the news today, Terry Bussey, an outstanding athlete who had Georgia on his list. He had been he had been committed to Texas A&M, and he decided to stay with Texas A&M, which means, of course, they paid him enough money to keep him in the fold. But um, Georgia did get some news today, and I like this news. See, this, this is the kind of news that is intriguing to me. Jeremy Bell is a three-star wide receiver who is foot one, 175 pounds from Clinch County. Now, look, folks, I'm from Waycross, as I've told you, you know, 5,322 times. And I know Clinch County football. I know how those kids down there in Homerville play. And they're good. And so when I read this kid was from Clinch County, I'm like, uh-huh. Okay. I'll take him. Wide receiver. It's going to be a preferred walk-on for the Bulldogs. He held reported offers for scholarships from Indiana, Vanderbilt, Coastal Carolina, Liberty, Middle Tennessee, Central Michigan, Northern Iowa, Wofford, Akron, and Bryant prior to his senior season, and he had committed to Indiana. Alcorn State, Illinois State, Mercer, Kent State, Austin P. also came into the equation after the season. So this guy had like 10-plus schools after him to sign a scholarship, and instead he wanted to come to Georgia as a preferred walk-on. Now, preferred walk-on means you get some some benefits of a full scholarship player, but not all. And, of course, you, you can only have 85 full scholarship players on your team. So, um, you know, there's just different ways to get people on your, on your roster. And, of course, now with NIL, there's all sorts of things that – that uh, is kind of going on. So Jeremy Bell is coming to Georgia as a preferred walk-on. I think it's kind of important because, number one, he went to Clinch County. Number two, Georgia only brought in two receivers in this cycle, Nitro Tuggle and Tacoby White. Tuggle finished as the number 125 player overall in the country, according to On3. White is at number 430. Both are already in Athens as early enrollees and were with the team before they played FSU in the Orange Bowl. So this will be the third wide receiver kind of from this class, and he's a preferred walk-on instead of a full scholarship player, and I I really like that. So 
National signing day is not what it used to be. You, you don't have a whole lot of drama today. Again, there are players out there, and I'm not trying to, to diminish the players who are out there signing scholarships today. It, it's just not like it used to be because uh, a large percentage of the players who were coming out of high school for college football this year have already signed, and a good majority are already in camp on campuses as early enrollees. That's the way it works now. Uh, another story that is going to piss Bulldog fans off. I don't know if you've heard this today, but I, I saw the headline, and I had to find out more about this because it's kind of got my blood boiling a little bit. So uh, there was a, a podcast that Dominic Raiola was on, and uh, it was with rivals, Adam Gorney. And Dominic Raiola is the father of Dylan Raiola, who, of course, has a longtime commitment to the University of Georgia until the very end of the process. Then he decided to go to Nebraska, where his dad, Dominic Raiola, was a star there before going to the NFL and playing with Detroit, and where his uncle is a an assistant coach there as well. So the story was that when word got out that Dylan Rayola was discussing the possibility of going to Nebraska and spurning the Bulldogs, Dominic Rayola got a phone call from Kirk Herbstreet, and here was the quote. When he saw the smoke about Dylan entertaining Nebraska, he, meaning Kirk Herbstreet, called me, according to Dominic Rayola. Dude, is this true? He's got to do it. He's got to do it. And then Rayola, Rayola's dad, Dominic, said, his affinity for Nebraska, for a guy like that to tell me and get behind me, I knew he needed to do it. But I wasn't going to sit here and say, you need to go change that place or be a part of a change of that place. So when Kirk told me that, I had other coaches reach out to me and say the play, this place is special and that Coach Matt Rule is a special leader. So, you know, look, Kirk uh, Street can have his own opinion. And, and we, we all know that whenever someone is on TV and they do something or say something negative against your program, you're going to wonder why the hell does he hate us? Uh, Mark May used to be, remember Bulldog fans, how Mark May was on ESPN on Saturday nights with with uh, Lou Holtz? And it was like, man, Mark May has got an axe to grind. He does not like the Georgia. I mean, Georgia could have been undefeated, and he would have named every other undefeated team and just purposefully have omitted Georgia from his conversation. And there's no question in my mind, and I'm using this as an example, that Mark May had it out for the Bulldogs. And, and I know he was on that Pittsburgh team that Georgia um, played with Dan Marino. So I, I have something, I don't know. Did that have something to do with it? I have no clue, right? I mean, we just don't know. But anyway, um, why would Herb Street do that? Out of the goodness of his heart to uh, simply give Nebraska a little push? He should have known this was going to get out. Everything gets out. It's like, you know, if you rob someone, you're probably going to get caught unless you're in New York. But, I mean, did Herb Street not think that it would be said that he encouraged Dylan Rayola to go to Nebraska? And why would he get involved in Dylan Rayola's recruitment? 
And, of course, that's going to make Georgia fans say, what the hell? <laughs> Why is Kirk Herbstreit saying that and doing that? And, and look, whether we like it or not, Kirk Herbstreit's a big part of college football. He is a, what, 20-year veteran of the signature show about college football on Saturdays. It's kind of like the NFL today. You know, I can't wait for that documentary on Sunday. I think that's the first piece of programming that CBS is going to have is a one-hour documentary. I think it's one about the NFL today. I can't wait for that because the NFL today for so many years in the NFL was the signature program. I don't even know what the NFL show on NBC was called. I mean, it was like NFL 81 or NFL 83 or whatever the year was. That's all they would say. It was no real show. And NFL Today was just so, I mean, it was like, you know, NFL Today was kind of like what 60 Minutes is compared to, you know, Dateline and 2020 and all those other magazine shows. I mean, NFL Today was just so far on another. It's not now, of course, because Fox, I think, has taken over more than NFL Today. But, I mean, back in the day when Brent Musburger hosted it 35 years ago and further back, it was the show. (laughs) You watched the NFL Today. And that's what game day is, whether we like it or not. And Herb Street's a part of that. He's a big part of that. So why would he do that? Now, I'm not saying that that was what meant Dylan Rayo to leave. But it does make you wonder, well, what the heck have you got against Georgia? And the only thing that Georgia fans have always said about Herb Street is, well, Georgia did beat him in 93 in the Citrus Bowl. So maybe that has something to do with it. I don't know. It's a fair question, and we'll never get an answer, of course. It's not like he's going to come out and say, yeah, screw Georgia. I can't stand them. I'm going to direct anybody I can to go away from them. I don't like Kirby Smart or any of them. I want to, I want to ruin their pro- – it's not like he's going to say that. We know that. But it's like, come on, dude. Why would you go and pick up the phone and call Dominic Rayola? Because you know he told his son, hey, Kirk Herbstreit called me and said, man, you could be a savior for this program. Now here, I, I know a lot of people out there who are Georgia fans are probably saying, screw him. With all due respect, you know what? He didn't pick Georgia. Forget about him. And I agree to a certain extent because there's nobody I think that deserves a better applause when he takes the field for the first time at the University of Georgia than Ryan Puglisi. He had the guts to stick to his commitment, unlike some people. So I think... You know, I, and, I, and I'm not saying Ryan Pugliese is going to have a better career than Dylan Rayola, but I sure as hell hope he, he does because that would be pretty daggum neat. Pugliese not as big of a quarterback prospect as Rayola, but then he goes to the University of Georgia because he, you know, does value the word of a verbal commitment, and, and you know, I, I hope he gets a chance to play and is, has a better career. But I obviously didn't like that story very much about Herb Street because it does make you wonder what the heck but you know I look again teams are always going to think that people are against their I mean fans rather are always going to think people are against their team and I get that you know it's like when people say I'm against Auburn well they're right I'm kidding I threw that out there for Chris Hefner so he could be mad at me anyway um we're going to take a break come back we're going to talk a little basketball Yes, we're going to talk a little basketball. Tech got beat bad last night. We'll talk about that. Georgia plays tonight. We'll talk about that. And Hawks talk as well. Hawks also in action tonight, but the NBA trade deadline is approaching. 
and we'll discuss that as well. Thanks so very much for joining us here on this midweek show. I'm Bill Shanks. You're listening to The Bill Shanks Show. Now, back to The Bill Shanks Show on the Superstations. Well, if you haven't figured it out, the Rolling Stones are our Wednesday group of the week. So we got all Rolling Stones songs on the show. Believe it or not, that was released in 1965, 59 years ago, from the album Out of Our Heads, which was probably appropriate at the time for the members of the Rolling Stones. Of course, Keith still looks like he hasn't found his head. It was their first number one song in the U.S. It was number three for the year in 1965. I actually saw a, uh, a shot of um, Mick Jagger today. I think he's 80 and his wife is 37. Which proves, I guess, that getting into a band will get you lucky even until you're using Viagra in your 80s. I know she loves him for the human being that he is anyway welcome back to our program we appreciate it uh john on twitter mark may threw my buckeyes under the bus all the time because ohio state beat Pitt 72 to nothing there you go see there mark may i mean and i'm surprised i mean i i thought that show was pretty good i mean lou holtz was crazy crazy funny though i mean it was not a bad thing for him to be on there because he was kind of funny and he he told it like it was which was pretty cool but and you know people just hated mark may which it's not always bad to have someone on the air that people hate so anyway i'm surprised he hadn't gotten back on television in some way shape form or fashion i thought it was pretty good i mean he he did kind of have that lightning bolt attraction to him where he was going to say things that would make people mad but sometimes that's not a bad thing i don't even know if they still have that show late at night on ESPN and who hosts it. I'm not sure if they do or not. <clears throat> it seemed like one time Kevin Carter was on that show uh, late at night, but I'm, I'm not. I'm not certain. But it used to be good because I think was Reese Davis the host of that show when it first went on. It was I think it was Reese Davis, and I'm not a big Reese Davis fan. He's all right. I mean, I like Chris Fowler better on on Game Day. To be honest with you, I thought Chris was really good. <clears throat> I guess Chris obviously didn't want to do play by play in Game Day. He'd rather do play-by-play, which I, I understand that. Do you know, one time when Georgia had Chris Fowler and Kirk Herbstreit there doing the game, I, I was there at halftime, and I was sitting around with a bunch of, of the reporters, you know, guys who are on the show or whatever, and we saw Chris Fowler, like, go from the broadcast booth to the bathroom with an escort. I'm not talking about that kind of escort, you know. I'm talking about, you know, not one that he could have gotten at Toppers in downtown Athens. I'm talking about, like, a security escort. 
So is Chris Fowler that popular to where someone's going to bother him to where he can't go to the bathroom? Or do they fear that if somebody does get him sidetracked, he won't be able to get back on television? I, we just kind of found that interesting. We were all like, wow, look, he's got a police escort to take go take a whiz. It was kind of weird. Anyway, um, basketball. I, I wish more fans in this state were or sports fans were basketball fans. I, I, I wish that more fans in this state were Hawks fans. I'm a big Hawks fan. I always have been. And, and you know, you may say, well, I don't care about the Hawks. You know, why do you have the Hawks on? You know, why do you have Jason Walker come on or Steve Holman or Bob Rathbun? You know, who cares? Well, I care, number one. And, you know, the first listener to this show that I have to make happy is me. Because I, I, I do like the Hawks. And, I, and, I, and look, we only talk state sports on here. So that's our NBA team, whether we like it or not. And I've always been kind of protective of the Hawks because um, they've always been my team. I mean, I've watched them since they were on WTCG and Skip Carey was the play-by-play guy. So I, I've I've just always been a Hawks fan, you know. I I, I first team I had Eddie Johnson, Armand Hill, John Drew, Dan Roundfield, Tree Rollins, Steve Halls, Tom McMillan, Sam Pelham. I mean, I, Charlie Chris. I mean, I love those guys. They were great, great. Well, they weren't great, great, great players. They were good players. They were good NBA players, and. Then, of course, Dominique came aboard in 1982, and it was like, oh, my God, here's Dominique. He's awesome. He's outstanding. And then Kevin Willis and then Doc Rivers. And, you know, I I just, you know, I, I just always liked the Hawks. So I've been through several incarnations of Hawks basketball. And several eras of Hawks basketball. After Dominic left, then it was kind of Dikembe. Then it was Josh Smith and Joe Johnson. And, of course, now it's Trey Young. Biggest problem now is they're not winning. And, you know, it's hard for me to say, well, I want more people to be Hawks fans in this state when they're not winning. People don't like to follow a loser. We've got a really good player on this Hawks team right now. We've got several good players on this Hawks team right now. It's not just a one-person team. It's not just Trey Young. DeJounte Murray is a very good player. Bogey Bogdanovich is a very good player. Jalen Johnson, I think, is becoming an excellent player. And they've got several other role players that are, are decent. You know, Akongwu, Anyaka Akongwu would be much better if he had uh, a starting assignment and was at playing another seven or eight minutes compared to 25. I mean, uh, they've got talent on this team, but they're not winning. 22 and 28, they're six games under 500, and tonight they go play the team with the best record in the conference, and and that is the Boston Celtics. And I don't think a whole heck of a lot of people are going to give the Hawks a lot of credit now to their to their case, I guess, they have played better as of late against very good teams. I mean, they had a four-game winning streak that included wins over Phoenix, 
and Golden State. Golden State not a great record this year, but we know they're always a good team to beat, and that was a great win they had on Saturday night. And then they lost the Clippers on Monday, 149-144. to And, you know, now they play Boston. So what do you expect? Well, I... I just I can't I can't guess the NBA. You know I I knew a friend of mine had a gambling problem when he's when I heard and this was twenty years ago that when I heard he was betting on NBA games I'm like dude you're a moron. You 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 have just got to be a moron in my opinion to bet on NBA games. Now you know if the if the uh, if the Celtics are taking on the Pistons. Pistons have won what four games this year? Okay, I may take that bet. I mean, I don't bet, but you know what I mean. But I mean, NBA is just so difficult; it's it's really tough. But the Hawks have been a tough team to figure out. They are a talented bunch, not enough depth on their team by any means. They have gone cheap on the depth, and they have a lot of questions, I think, that are legitimate about their desire to win a championship. They have acquired, obviously, in Trey Young, a player who can be built around, and you can have a a the first thing you've got to have for a, any kind of hope at all for a championship team, you have to have championship-type players. I mean that that's just got to be a requirement. You you can't have mediocrity all over the place, or you'll be the wizards. You you've, you've got to be talented. You've got to have talent to win. And the Hawks have a player in Trey Young who is very polarizing for some reason, but I I think is still a star player that should be a centerpiece for a team looking to win a championship. And they can't get over 500, which at some point, you know what question is going to be asked. Well, maybe it's the wrong kind of star. Hawks are third in the league in scoring with 121.6 points per game. That's very, very good. They are next to last in defense, allowing 123.9 points per game. They are allowing more points per game than they are scoring and that's why they are six games under 500. You can't be that bad on defense. You, you just you just can't. And now, to their defense, to a certain extent, which is no pun intended, uh, nobody plays defense in the NBA anymore. Every team in the NBA is allowing 107 or more points per game this year. Best defense in the NBA is Minnesota. They're allowing 107 Point one points per game. I want to go back see how far this will take me. This takes me back to the 2001-2002 regular season, 22 years ago. Listen to this. 22 years ago in the NBA, in the 2001 and 2002 season, the best defense in the NBA belonged to the Miami Heat. They allowed 88.7 points per game. That is a 20-point swing of what is going on now in the NBA. In, in two decades. That's unbelievable. That's um, Now, there are going to be people who tell you, well, hey, look, if they're scoring, you know, 140 points a night, that's fun. That's fast pace. That's fun. It's going to be a lot of points on the board. Okay, but, you know, they never call traveling. They double dribble left and right. Um, 
it's just a different game. And I and I, I I'm probably sounding like old man on the front porch here, you know, get off my lawn. But I mean, it's that 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 number disparity right there tells you how different basketball is. I I said with Jason Walker yesterday when we were talking Hawks basketball, I said, you know, are we to the point where we shouldn't care about defense anymore? But again, the Hawks are giving up more points per game by two than they are scoring per game. So if it doesn't take long to figure out why they're six games under 500. They can't stop anybody. I mean, again, <laughs> the Clippers scored 149 points on them the other day, and that was a regulation score. Used to be when you would see someone score over 140, it was a triple overtime game. Now it's a regular season game. The Hawks have given up more than 140 points in two straight games, and they won one of them. No, I'm sorry. They have given up 130 points or more in two straight games, and they have won one of them. Listen to these scores from the – this is unbelievable. Listen to these scores from the last – I'm going to go back to the game against Dallas. The last six games for the Hawks. They're 4-2, and two, by the way. They won – excuse me, they lost 148 to 143. They won 126 to 125. They won 138 to 122. They won 140, 20, or excuse me, 129 to 120. They won in overtime 141 to 134. And then on on Monday night they lost 149 to 144. You're talking about averaging around. 35 points per quarter. And that's just unbelievable. So the Hawks have to decide between now and tomorrow at 3 o'clock if they're going to make a trade. If they just sell off a player, we know it'll be to save money. It's a shame because they are within shouting distance of being able to get into a deeper spot in the playoffs. Right now they're 10th. And they're pretty secure in that 10th spot. They're a game and a half behind the ninth-place team, Chicago, and they're two games up on the 11th-place team, Brooklyn. So they're, they're, they're pretty secure in that 10th spot. That's not very good because you're going to have to have a play-in series to make the playoffs, which is really bad, right? That's not good. You would, be, you would technically be a playoff team, but you would have to fight another round to be able to continue on. And then you'd have to face the number one team, Boston. Good luck with that. But the Hawks have to decide who they are. Now, supposedly, DeJounte Murray is the player that's been talked about the most. It hasn't worked out with him and Trey Young in the backcourt. That's a shame. They're both talented players. And the notion of, well, let's get another ball handler in the backcourt to help Trey was a good one, I thought. But now it doesn't look too good. They just haven't played very well together. Part of that is DeJounte's fault because his defense that was coming with a very high rating when he came from San Antonio has just not been there. It's just, it's just it's not been there. He's not a very good defender with the Atlanta Hawks compared to what he did with the San Antonio Spurs. That's a shame, too. That's a big shame. And... I don't know if trading him is the right thing to do. I mean, if they just want to save money, then sure, trade him. Yeah, I don't know if that's going to help them win. I'd rather, I would rather have 
them get back a significant piece or at the minimum the amount of draft picks that they gave away for him in a trade instead of just giving him away. And the, <clears throat> the Lakers, excuse me, the Lakers have been one of the teams that have been rumored to be interested in in DeJounte Murray, but there hasn't been a whole lot of of belief that the Lakers would have a suitable package for even the Hawks to pull the trigger, even if they wanted to just save money. They would supposedly uh, offer D'Angelo Russell, uh, last year's first-round draft pick, who did not have very good reports on him at all, and then a future first-round pick in, like, 2029. That's five years from now. <clears throat> I, I'm not really interested in that kind of trade. It would save them money, but I don't think that would help them win. I'd love for them to add somebody who could help them win. A defensive player would be nice, someone else that could help the bench. I don't think we should really expect that, though, because that would cost them more money. So it, it's it's hard for me to say, hey, I want you to be a Hawks fan. You know, I, I want you to root for our home state team. And then they're losing, have lost, since the series with Milwaukee a couple of summers ago when they were obviously going further than they ever had in their history. They won a conference game, conference finals game. They had never done that before. And they haven't done squat since. They've been at 500 and now under 500. So it's 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 frustrating for a Hawks fan because you want for people to enjoy the games. I mean, I enjoy watching the Hawks, and, and partly because, obviously, Bob Rathbun is a tremendous broadcaster. On the radio, Steve Holman is a tremendous broadcaster. They're, yes, they're both friends of mine. But, they, I mean, we are blessed as Hawks fans to have the best announcers in the NBA, a, a period. And uh, am I objective? No, but I don't really care. You're not going to find any two announcers better than Bob Rathbun and Steve Holman. And that makes it even more attractive for me to watch the games. I mean, I watch them all the time. I watch them every game. And I will watch them tonight. I don't think they've got a very good chance to win against Boston, but I'll be watching them tonight. Will that change when baseball season starts? Yeah, it will. Because the Braves will be my priority then, I admit. But, I mean, I, I still watch the Hawks very regularly. And I hate that we're sitting here with a talented team that can't be better in the win-loss column. That's that's a shame. So will they make it better with a move between now and tomorrow at 3 o'clock? We'll have to see. Next, should the Braves make an addition to their rotation? I'll pose that question for you when we return right after this. Now, back to the Bill Shank Show on the Superstations. ago get off my cloud another hit for the rolling stones in 1965 
Right after Satisfaction, it was number one on the charts for two weeks. Unbelievable. Crazy how long ago that was and how long they have been popular and still performing. That's probably what's even crazier. You know, you think about Mick Jagger being 80 and Frank Sinatra. Think about Frank Sinatra. Frank Sinatra, of course, died in 19... 19- 98 may of 1998 and he was i believe 82 years old and frank sinatra in the late 90s before he died looked like he was 140 compared to mick jagger who and it's not like mick jagger looks young by any means because he's you know pretty wrinkled but i mean well he's always been wrinkled but still i don't think frank sinatra was moving around like old mick jagger when he was his age so kind of crazy isn't it yeah, Frank Sinatra died the night that Seinfeld had its final episode. Remember that? I remember that because I um, woke up the next morning and Frank Sinatra had died. And I'm like, wow, that's pretty wild. But anyway, back on the show here. wanted to ask a question that uh, we can talk about for a little bit. I had someone on Twitter bring this up yesterday when I had my column up on the Braves rotation in the Savannah Morning News, and that was about the fifth starter's spot in the competition. Now, I like the Braves' depth. I like the Braves' starting rotation depth of Max Freed, Spencer Strider, Charlie Morton, Chris Sale, and then you had the fifth starter's competition. Bryce Elder, Reynaldo Lopez brought in to be stretched out as a starter. A.J. Smith-Shalver, who I think we cannot forget, Oscar Noah, even Hurston Waldrip. But, I mean, that's five guys right there that are going to compete for the fifth starter's position. And I'm telling you, if A.J. Smith-Shalver has a good march, it's him. <laughs> I mean, I'm just, that's my prediction. God bless Bryce. God bless all the rest of them. But if A.J. Smith-Shalver is the best of those five in March, he's going to be the fifth starter. Now, um, Vincent on... Twitter, in response to my column, said, sign Trevor Bauer to two years with an option for a third year at league minimum with incentives. He's up for it. Imagine that rotation. Strider, Freed, Bauer, Sell, and Morton. And then he linked a, 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 a podcast that Trevor Bauer was on with a uh, comedian, Theo Vaughn. I, I saw Theo Vaughn in Atlanta. He was there at the SEC championship game. I don't I don't really know who he is. But, you know, I'm 53.9, so I guess I don't know all the comedians. This is like a two-hour podcast, and I listened to some of it last night. And in that podcast, Trevor Bauer, who has not pitched in the big league since 2021, has been banished from baseball for two years because he was accused of some improprieties in the bedroom, and later those charges were false. Not just untrue, not, excuse me, not just he was innocent, they were made up. And, you know, he has always had a bad reputation for his off-the-field behavior and activity. 
He has also had some on-the-field stuff. You may remember when Trevor Bauer threw the ball into the center field stands and pissed his Indians teammates off. They were called Indians then, so I'm not being disrespectful, not that I would give a crap. But he you know, he had many years with the Indians. He was very good. He went to Cincinnati, won the Cy Young Award in 2020 in the shortened season with an unbelievable year. Signed with the Dodgers the next year and had a very good year. But then he got in trouble. And he went to Japan, pitched over there, and and now he's trying to get back in the big leagues. There were reports earlier in the offseason that teams were meeting with Trevor Bauer and his agent, but nothing has materialized. He said on this podcast that he would go to a team for a minimum plus incentives. I did hear that part, that he would sign for the major league minimum with built-in incentives if he pitched well. That's how much he's wanting to get back in the game. Now, don't get me wrong. Trevor Bauer has made a lot of money in his life. According to the Baseball Dash reference, he's made $111 million in his career. Doesn't count whatever he had in Japan, which is probably a little bit more. I mean, he's made a ton of money. He's wealthy. He's rich. But this guy, again, it's not like he's Dale Murphy or a nice, clean young man. And I don't think he's the demon that he was made out to be. There's no question that he has a reputation. And I think that's what's keeping him from being signed. But he was... He was mistreated in the media by having the accusations pretty much convict him immediately. Now, he's an unbelievable pitcher. Would I sign him? Yes. Is it telling that no one else has and that the Braves haven't signed him? Yes. Did I like what I hear last night on the podcast with him? Yes. I did. I think he's learned a lot, and I think he's mature. That I mean, now he's 33 years old, and it's a shame that he can't get signed. And I, I wish the Braves would sign him. I just don't know if it'd go over well in that clubhouse. And look, as we know, Alex Anthopoulos is not going to sign someone if it's not going to go over well in the Braves clubhouse. He's just not. Good or bad, right or wrong, that's it, just not going to happen. Has Alex Anthopoulos asked Brian Snicker, or Max Freed, or Charlie Morton, or Chris Sale. Hey, should I sign Trevor Bauer? I don't know. I have no idea. But, again, nobody's signing him, and nobody has, and I don't know if anybody will, and it's kind of sad. And I do think he deserves another chance, but I, I think it's just a shame that he can't come back and prove that he can kind of keep his nose clean and keep his doors shut and play ball. Because when he is on the field... He is one great Major League pitcher. But I don't see the Braves doing it. If they haven't done it by now, I don't see the Braves doing it before the start of the season. And we'll see if he can hook on with someone else. But if they did sign him and he did do what he's saying and, and kind of be mature now, oh, my gosh, that pitching staff would be unbelievable. You're listening to The Bill Shanks Show. <laughs> 